Hey, Sarah, I love that spring break vlog you posted on Zigazoo. OMG, you watched it? Yeah, it was so cool. I think you're so talented. Social media is only positive with Zigazoo, the world's largest and safest social media network for kids. In Zigazoo, all community members are verified kids just like yours. And all content is fully human moderated. Try out Zigazoo this spring break. Download the Zigazoo app today. There's plenty to celebrate in March and ex- Craft Month with the perfect pizza at home class from Craftsy. And anytime is right to listen to iHeartRadio's iHeartCountry Radio. Discover more shows and movies for free. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com compatibility. CNN Underscore's Guide to Sleep has tons of recommendations for products that can help you get the best night's sleep ever. All right, let's face it. Most of us have had trouble falling or staying asleep at some point. And there are a lot of products and hacks claiming to be the solution to our sleepless nights. That's why the CNN Underscore team spend hundreds of hours testing products to find the ones that can make a huge difference in the quality of your slumber. Visit underscore.com now for our ultimate guide to getting better sleep. This is the Chicago City Cast with Danny Burke, presented by Bet Rivers. Okay, welcome to it, ladies and gentlemen. Another edition of the Chicago City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers. Danny Burke, your host here, as always, can get in touch with me on Twitter at Danny Burke 5 Be sure to catch my show Rush Hour Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time, live out of the Bet Rivers Sportsbook at the Rivers Casino in Des Plaines, Illinois. But if you can't make it down, check us out on vsin.com. That is V-S-I-N.com, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time. Also, Fubo TV, Sling TV, the Xfinity app, YouTube TV, iHeartRadio. So wherever you get your podcasts, as well as the Marquee Sports Network. All right, plenty to talk about on this episode. Bulls have a tough road game against the Jazz. We'll share our overall thoughts and some props that stand out. We got a big signing for the Cubbies and a couple for the Bears. Maybe not big for the Bears, but some interior guys or just guys who are doing more than nitty-gritty work who aren't going to be doing the flashy things, but helping build this roster into the team that we all want to see. So we'll talk about that. We'll also discuss some of the players that have left, and I'll give you a play that I do have in college basketball tonight. Really quick, wanted to recap the Blackhawks game last night. Got to give ourselves a little pat on the back. No, we didn't necessarily use it as an official play, but you know, I was saying take the puck and a hook with the Blackhawks. Well, they do lose by one, and it was an overtime. Did we not mention that, hey, maybe take the overtime bet for a little bit of plus money because our boy Nick Alberga was doing that, and that game went to OT. Blackhawks lose by one. Hopefully you're able to tail a little bit and get some good value. But, look, you didn't expect the Blackhawks to win. They did keep it close, which we did expect. 
So, I don't know. At least they're still fighting to the end. But that's all I got to say about the Hawks. Just wanted to point that out there. Let's jump into this Bulls game tonight, folks. In Salt Lake City, very tough matchup for Chicago. Needed to beat the Kings, so you didn't feel as bad losing these next two games against the Jazz and the Suns. But nevertheless, Utah did open up as a sizable favorite. Minus six in the hook, to be exact. Total opened up at 225 and a half. Well, lines up at six now at Bet Rivers. It was at five and a half, but I guess it keeps going back between five and the hook and six. But currently, we do see it at six in favor of the home team. Utah also laying minus 240 on the money line. Bulls plus 195. Totals taking a dive to the under slightly. 225 and a half down to 223 and a half. Over under minus 110 each way. Bulls coming off that loss on Monday night to Sacramento, but the Jazz are also coming off a loss from Monday, 117 to 111 versus the Bucks. And the Bulls did defeat the Jazz earlier this season, if you recall, way back when they had Caruso, they had Lonzo Ball, and they defeated the Jazz at the United Center, 107 to 99. Big benefit for the Jazz, well, they play exceptionally well at home, 24 and 11. And we know the Bulls struggles on the road 16 and 17. Injuries for this game. Trent Force looks like he's going to be questionable for the Jazz. Azebuke is going to be out. Bohan Bogdanovich is out. And Daniel House Jr. also absent on the side of Utah. Now Patrick Williams, we've seen some hopefully positive rumblings about when he could return. Whether it's going to be at the end of March or at least he could be cleared for full contact by then. Lonzo Ball is getting a little worrisome here because he does not have a timetable for his return. Hopefully we could get good news out of that front sooner rather than later. All right, let's get into the stats here. Where do the Bulls and the Jazz have their advantages and disadvantages? Offensively, the Bulls rank 7th in offensive points per possession and 6th in offensive effective field goal percentage. Now they had a terrible shooting night against the Kings. Hey, maybe they could bounce back. Well, I wouldn't rush to be excited about that because the Jazz are 10th in defensive points per 100 possessions and 9th in defensive effective field goal percentage. All right, let's flip the script. How good are the Jazz offensively? Folks are number one in both offensive points per possession and offensive effective field goal percentage. Not great because the Bulls are 17th in defensive points per 100 possessions and 19th in defensive effective field goal percentage. The Jazz could just run up this score with the inability of the Bulls to play keep up. Also, something that we know is going to kill the Bulls in this game, and what has killed them when they've lost games as of late, is sending their opponents to the free throw line. Well, the Jazz are 4th in offensive free throw rate. Bulls have gotten a little bit better, right? I mean, offensively, they're 10th, but look, again, the Jazz are going to counter it because they're number one in defensive free throw rate. Man, whatever the Bulls can do a little bit decent, it seems like the Jazz can counter them, and then where the Bulls' weaknesses are, well, the Jazz are really good in that area. Now, the Bulls, as we know, I always like to throw it out there just for the specific matchups. The Bulls take a majority of their shots from mid-range. They actually take the second most. Over 37% of their collective shots come from mid. And the Jazz actually struggle defending mid-range. They allow opponents to make 43% of their shots from mid-range, which ranks 20th. So maybe a bright spot for this Bulls team. 
The other bright spot is that the Bulls are second in transition offense. The Jazz, 21st in transition defense. But we saw the Bulls' lack of transition dominance and just usage in that game against the Kings. Also another reason why they were unable to win. Those are the areas you got to capitalize against the Jazz. A lot easier said than done. Bulls are fifth in half-court offense, but the Jazz are seventh defensively. Look, Utah is not good in transition on both sides of the ball, offense and defense. But where Utah does do very well is their half-court offense, you would naturally think, because they're first in offensive points per possession and offensive effective field goal percentage. That adds up to them being second in half-court offense, while the Bulls are 22nd in half-court defense. And just to add a little bit more insult, Utah takes 43.5% of their shots from beyond the arc. That ranks number one in the NBA. We know how bad the Bulls are at defending the three. They rank 27th opponents, making 37% of their shots from deep. Utah could just knock down three after three after three in this half-court set, get fouled down low when he dish it to Rudy Gobert, whatever it may be. I don't see an avenue for the Bulls winning this game. Now, in terms of the spread, it is indicated that, hey, yeah, realistically, the Bulls are going to lose. Then the big question is, can they keep it close? Can they cover this six? I just have no confidence in them to actually do that. Do you? Yes, they are capable of doing it, but based on what we have seen in similar spots, why would you trust putting money on this Bulls team in one of the tougher road environments, in one of the better, arguably the best offensive squads statistically, in a team that thrives at home. This is a terrible setting and situation all around in many different facets for this Bulls team. And I always say it, and it probably annoys people because nobody likes to be patient and wait for in-game bets, but unless you... Like, this is the way I would approach it. I honestly think the Jazz are going to get out to a huge lead at some point, and inevitably, the Bulls will be down by, like, double digits. And I'm sure if you really want to take the points with the Bulls, you can wait and get a better number. Conversely, with the Jazz, do you think you're going to get a better number than minus six? Maybe, maybe not. You know what the Jazz are going to bring. It's what performance and attitude and dynamic the Bulls are going to bring to the table. Are they hitting their shots? Are they getting to the free throw line? Can they hit their threes? Can they get bench production? Can they slow down anyone defensively? That's the issue with this Bulls team compared to other top teams. You know you can get this out of a Utah Jazz squad pretty much any given night. With the Bulls, well, it's a mystery. They couldn't do it against the damn Kings. What makes you think they're going to go do it against Utah now? It would be... Utah or nothing slash and I in 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 terms of in game I don't even want to take a bet with the Bulls. Yes, I'm going to root for him to win, but truthfully, I would wait for a better number on the Jazz and hey, maybe the Bulls do keep it close. Like unbiased, that's what I would do. Either look for a better number with Utah, maybe it gets down to 5 or 5 and a half. But Utah is going to win this game. I hope I'm wrong. Every Bulls fan hopes I'm wrong. I mean, why wouldn't you? But if we're being realistic, 
why would we get our hopes up for this game? At what point has this Bulls team given you any confidence on the road or against top teams? Yes, they beat the Jazz earlier this season, but that was at home, and you also had Lonzo Ball in the mix. When's the last time the Bulls had an impressive road win? Well, let's see. Oh, at Detroit. Nice. Oh, wait. No, nobody cares because it's the Pistons. You lost at Philly. You lost at Atlanta. You lost at Miami. Oh, you won at Charlotte? Well, Charlotte's a terrible team defensively. Oh, you won at Indiana? One of the worst teams. You lost at Toronto. You lost at San, uh, San Antonio. You beat Oklahoma City by one on the road. You got smacked by Orlando on the road. You lost at Milwaukee. You lost at Memphis. You lost at Boston. You lost at Dallas. Oh, you won at Washington by one. Not a great team. Oh, you won against Indiana on the road by two. At Atlanta, you won 130-118. to Again, a bottom team in the Eastern Conference. You lost at Miami. You lost at Cleveland. You won at Brooklyn. There you go. But no Kyrie Irving. You won with the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. Healthier team for the Bulls. New York, not a good team. You lost at Houston. You won at Denver, but they didn't have Jokic in that game. You lost at Portland. You won at Los Angeles with the Lakers, which at the time was big, but the Lakers stink now. You won at Los Angeles with the Clippers. Solid win. Not a healthy squad. You lost at Golden State. You lost at Philly. You won at Boston. That was your one big and actually worthy win at Boston. And at Toronto, I'll give you that too. There's been less than like three impressive road wins from this Bulls squad. And that's, I don't even know, man. I mean, that's just bad. There's so much disappointment on the road with this Bulls team that is going to carry over in a terrible way to the postseason if they can't flip the script. They can do it. It can start tonight. But their stretch of their schedule goes Utah tonight, Phoenix Friday, Toronto, at least you get at home, but they're fighting hard. Then you're at Milwaukee. Good luck. At New Orleans, a team you should beat, but if they're healthy, <laughs> CJ McCollum, Brandon Ingram, yeah, right. You couldn't beat the Kings. You're not beating them. At Cleveland, divisional game. They'll be fighting for playoff lives. It's just, I got caught up in the optimism with this Bulls team, among many other people. Now, I understood when they were taking advantage of these equal or inferior teams that it wasn't going to translate against a tougher competition. But when we were handicapping the second half of the schedule, you know, against Memphis, I actually did think that was a game they'd win. At Sacramento, a game I thought they'd win. I didn't think they'd beat Philly and Milwaukee. Well, it was kind of a 50-50 and same with Atlanta. But like at home versus Toronto, you got to win. At New Orleans, at Cleveland, at New York, at Washington versus the Clippers, you got to win those games. Again, a lot easier said than done, but they're capable of doing so. And yes, they're still waiting for reinforcements. Give us Patrick Williams, please. And then we got to hope and pray Lonzo Ball comes back as soon as possible. It's been tough. It's been frustrating. But there's going to be growing pains when you do a complete 180 and end up in a unique, unfamiliar spot with a majority of your players who have not been in that spot. So that's the cost of doing business and trying to get on the road to success. 
All right, let's talk about some props for this game. So I told you how bad the Bulls are in defending the three. Utah taking a majority of their shots from deep. Who's the guy that could thrive in that setting? Donovan Mitchell comes to mind. 26.5 is his points prop over minus 121, under minus 106. Mitchell's averaging 25.5 points per game this season. He has gone over 26.5 points in 28 out of 56 games. So not too shabby from Mitchell. 45% of his shot attempts come from deep. He's making 36% of them. 32% of his shots come from mid-range. He's connecting on 46%. And at the rim, 23% of his shot attempts come there, and he is locking down 66% of them. Again, Bulls terrible defending the three, but where a majority of his shots come from being mid-range, or excuse me, the, the second most shots that he comes from, but highest volume of actually making them. Uh, the Bulls rank six in defending mid-range, 40.5%. Not bad. Take a look at this, though. The first game against Chicago, the dude had 27 shot attempts. Holy cow. Nine of 27 from the floor. Two of 11 from deep. And you're thinking, how the hell did he get 30 points? Well, he went 10 to 10 from the charity stripe, which, of course, helped. But wow. 27 shot attempts. And Caruso and Lonzo Ball were playing. You'll get Caruso playing this game, but not Ball. Hard not to look to the over now at home for Mitchell against a team that he could thrive from deep. I think his three-point prop was like three in the hook, and it's a little bit too steep for my liking. But I would not be shocked to see Mitchell go over 26.5 points. I'm not in love with it because it is high. And maybe Caruso does lock him down a little bit in terms of just, you know, relatively well enough. But, um, yeah, I, I think he gets over this more often than not. I don't know if I like it enough to want to make it an official play, though. But a strong lean to Mitchell's over. Let's talk about Rudy Gobert, though. This is where my interests really lie for this game. Rudy Gobert's points prop for tonight is 14 and a half. The over minus 127 under even money. Now, in totality for the season, Gobert is averaging 15.5 points per game. He's gone over 14.5 points in 29 out of 53 games this season. At Chicago, he dropped 17 points. Really solid performance from Gobert. Booch, really hard to contain him in. I think he went 7-9 from the floor and got a nice effort from the charity stripe. I kind of presume the same thing is going to happen in this game tonight. But instead of looking at his points prop over 14 and a half, which I do like, it could just be a big three-point shooting effort. The Jazz could kill him and he gets taken out early. You know, something like that may happen. I'm looking at his rebounds prop. We know Rudy Gobert's dominant on the boards consistently. Huge body. Bulls can struggle with rebounds from time to time. So what is his rebounds prop at? Well, at Bet Rivers, it is listed at 12 and a half over minus 127. <clears throat> excuse me. Under is even money. Earlier is actually, I think the over was minus 120, under minus 107. Nevertheless, I pulled the trigger on Gobert over 12 and a half rebounds. He is averaging 14.7 rebounds per game this season. He's gone over, remember, he went over 14 and a half points in 29 out of 53 games. 
Well, how about him going over 12 and a half rebounds in 39 out of 53 games? Only 14 games has he not gotten 13 or more rebounds. Incredible. Incredible from Rudy Gobert. And against the Bulls, he racked up 19 rebounds in that game. Plus, the last 7 out of 9 games, he has eclipsed this mark of 12 and a half rebounds. Put me in for Rudy Gobert getting over 12 and a half rebounds once again. That's my official prop play for this game. Rudy Gobert over 12 and a half rebounds. Big man can't be contained. And then you'd think, well, Danny, this is the perfect situation to fade Vooch, right? A good big man. He slacks in these spots. You're right. You are absolutely right. And that's what the odds are indicating here because his points prop is at 18 in the hook. And the under is showing it as the favorite minus 127 over his even money. Now, this one's a little bit trickier than it usually would be. Yes, this is a perfect situation to go by our philosophy of fading Vooch against solid big men. But Vooch, the last five games, he's gone over 18 and a half points. He's averaging 18 per game this season. He's gone over it in 26 out of 60 games this season. Versus Utah, the first go-round racked up 16 points. But it really wasn't a pretty 16 points. Went 4 of 19 from the floor. 2 of 6 from deep. 6 of 8 from the charity stripe. Now, I get it. He stayed under. But 19 shot attempts? Holy cow. They must have been begging him to shoot. The thing that scares me about going under with Vooch in this situation is the fact that they're really trying to emphasize his usage more offensively. They know they have to get him involved right out of the gate. It's got to facilitate through him, so to speak, instead of just playing iso ball with DeMar DeRozan and Zach Levine 90% of the time. So that's what I think, despite them going against a potential defensive player of the year again in Rudy Gobert, I think he will get a decent amount of looks. And the thing about Vooch, look, he's not going to kill Gobert in the post, right? That's not where he's going to make his cake against a bigger guy. He's going to try to just do it from mid-range with his little with his little floaters or from deep. And I'm not saying he's good at knocking down threes, but he had a solid effort against the Kings. Jazz ain't the Kings, though. We know this. So with Vooch, yeah, I have a stronger lean on him going under than I do on Donovan Mitchell going over, I would say. But because of the effort that is being implemented by the Bulls to get Vooch involved in what he's done over the last five games, despite us thinking, hey, Vooch isn't showing out. Well, in terms of his prop betting, no, he's actually done pretty well. That scares me a little bit for taking this under. I would have no problem if he came up to me and said, hey, I'm going to take Vooch under 18 and a half. I'd be like, you know what? That makes sense. We have seen these exact situations where that bet has come through. So I would not hate that at all. But again, I'm trying to be more quality over quantity whenever I'm dishing out picks. And this one, because of how they're trying to get Vooch involved more consistently, early and often, that gives me a little bit of hesitancy. So again, a strong lean to the under, and who knows, maybe my thoughts will alter by the time I get on the rush hour tonight. And this thing probably goes down to 17 and a half, I'm not going to lie, so if you like it, get on it sooner rather than later. But I think I'm just going to stick with Gobert over 12 and a half rebounds right now. That's going to be my official play for this game. But a strong, strong lean to Vooch going under 18 and a half points, 
and a semi-strong lean to uh, Donovan Mitchell over 26.5 points. So that's what we got for tonight's Bulls game. Don't have faith in them to win. Hoping Gobert grabs a lot of boards. Vooch, if I don't bet you, come on, man, go off. If I end up doing it, well, just keep doing what you're doing in these similar spots. But hopefully the Bulls can prove all the doubters, including us Bulls fans now on the road. We doubt them on the road. Hopefully they can prove us wrong. Get a big win. Show you can compete with the big boys. And the loss against the Kings was a fluke. And we'll put it in the rearview mirror and move on with optimism. All right, coming up next here on the Chicago City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers, going to give you one college basketball play for tonight. Well, actually, I'll give you a few because some of the games that I would talk about otherwise or tomorrow are already going to be tipping off because it's finally here, baby. March Madness. Let's get into it next. Let's get into the Cubs acquisition, the big one, baby, and then what the Bears have been doing lately in a free agency. Stick around. Bet Rivers Sportsbook wants you to experience Rush Pay. When you want to cash out your winnings, you don't want to wait two days just to get the go ahead to withdraw your money. That's why Bet Rivers created Rush Pay. With Rush Pay, 80% of withdrawal requests are approved instantly, meaning you'll get your money faster. Why wait? Get your cash when you want it. Bet with a winner. Bet with Bet Rivers Sportsbook at betrivers.com. Not valid for any participant of the Illinois Gaming Board statewide voluntary self exclusion program. Must be 21 years of age or older. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem, crisis counseling and referral services can be accessed by calling 1 800 Gambler. 1 800 4265 Okay, let's talk a little bit of college hoops here on the Chicago City Cast, presented by Bet Rivers. It is Wednesday afternoon as I'm recording this, and we've got more playing game action tonight. Hopefully, you're able to cash in on Indiana last night. We talked about that on Monday, and the Hoosiers do come through defeating Wyoming. Forgot for a second who they played, but yeah, nice win against Wyoming. Wasn't the prettiest of games, but hey, it is what it is. Okay, let's get into the game tonight that I did have some betting interest in. And it's kind of catching me off guard a little bit because there was some significant line movement, I guess. I don't know when it happened, maybe recent. But Wright State and Bryant. So this game, obviously, you probably don't know who the hell they are and or care about it. But that's what makes it even more beautiful this time of the year. Because who to thunk us betting Wright State and Bryant? Definitely not me. But 5.40 p.m. Central Time, Wright State Currently a two-and-a-half-point favorite, and what's kind of perplexing, I talked about this on Rush Hour, and I don't think I talked about it on this show, so that's why I'm kind of speaking like I might have already said it. But they opened up as a two-point favorite did Wright State. Then line went up to three in the hook. Last night it was three-and-a-half. Now it's back down to two-and-a-half. I don't know what the late movement is on Bryant, but I snagged Wright State at minus 160. I did not think we were going to get a better number. These games are sometimes unpredictable with the line movement, especially the lower tier ones. But again, I snagged minus 160. Now you can snag Wright State at minus 148. Greg Peterson, as I alluded to, uh, again, it, it could have been here rush hour, but Greg Hoops Peterson at unit underscore 81. He handicaps every and I mean every single college basketball game, NIT, actual tournament, all that good stuff. Give him a follow at GUnit underscore 81. I always consider what he makes his lines, right? I, I want to see what the legend himself has to say about these games. And Greg had Wright State as a five and a half point favorite. Remember, this is even when Wright State was 
They opened two, went to three in the hook, and Greg had five and a half. I'm like, all right, perfect. But now it's come back down to two in the hook. I'm not going to let it scare me too much. I don't know if there was an injury. I was kind of trying to look. I didn't see anything, but, you know, maybe there's not breaking news on Bryant and Wright State left and right. But nevertheless, the reason I liked Wright State is because they got three lethal scores. You got Tanner Holden, who's dropping 20 a game. Oh, you know what? I did talk about this game because I couldn't remember how to pronounce this guy's name. Grant Basile, Basil, Basile, yeah, something like that, 18 and a half points per game. And then Trey Calvin, 14.3 points per game. Regardless, his team shoots 46.5% from the floor. Great free throw shooting team, 77% from the charity stripe, 33% from deep, 12 turnovers per game. Kind of a home game for them, right? They're playing in Dayton, Ohio. They're from the area, similar, pretty close. So maybe they'll have that advantage. They're coming off the Horizon League title. They beat top seed Cleveland State in the semifinal. And then Northern Kentucky in the championship they're probably feeling a little slighted because they landed in the first four. So here they are, a favorite against Bryant. What does Bryant have to offer? Well, they got two top guys. Peter Kiss is a menace, 25 points per game. And then he got to worry about Charles Pride at 18 points per game. But they're top heavy with those two guys. That's the issue. And this team shoots less than 44% from the floor, under 74% from the charity stripe, and 30% from three. And they turn over the ball two times, two more times per game than Wright State does. So I know I talked about this yesterday. I'll keep it short and sweet. Again, I went money line with Wright State, minus 160. I got a 12 cent worse price than what's being offered right now at Bet Rivers. So if you want to get involved and you haven't, now would probably be the time. I think, I mean, again, unless there's an injury I'm missing, I feel like this might go back up to three. So the juice is on the minus two in the hook toward Wright State. So again, hopefully you're listening to this sooner rather than later and can get involved. Um, tomorrow we've got plenty of action throughout the day, Michigan and Colorado state. I talked about this game on Monday, said, I don't really like Michigan here. And hopefully you listened and you took Colorado state. Cause here is some line movement in our favor. Michigan opened four in the hook at bet rivers. Guess what? Greg Peterson made Colorado state a two point favorite. I also think Colorado State has the advantage. I took them plus two and a half yesterday. Now, it's pretty much down to a pick em. Colorado State plus one, minus 112 juice. Michigan minus one at minus 109. Moneyline has the Wolverines minus 114. The Rams of Colorado State minus 105. Total at 137. Love to see that movement. Really like Colorado State in this game. Their flight plans, their travel, their coach was saying the NCAA didn't even inform them about it, so they're already pissed because of all that going on. They're going to have a little bit more chip on their shoulder. They got two lethal scores and David Roddy dropping over 19 points per game and Isaiah Stevens contributing 15 per contest. They're averaging 74 points per game, shooting 48.5% from the floor, 36% from deep, and they're shooting over 77% from the charity stripe. They only turn the ball over 10 times per game and defensively allowing their opponents just 66 points per game. Michigan allows their opponents 70 points per game, shooting 47% from the floor, 34% from deep, 74.5% from the charity stripe. They turn the ball over 11.5 times per game. I don't trust this Michigan team. I think they got the benefit of the doubt by not going where Indiana had to go in terms of the play-in game. 
Michigan has been untrustworthy. They've been an unstable squad. And I think Colorado State comes out pissed off, ready to shoot and take control of this game. It may not be pretty, but I took two in the hook with Colorado State. Again, Greg made Colorado State a two-point favorite. Shop around, but I do think Colorado State gets the dub. Next game that I did pull the trigger on. Don't think I talked about this on the City Cast, but I did last night on Rush Hour. Let me take you to Memphis and Boise State. 12.45 p.m. Central Time tip. Memphis, a three-point favorite. They opened up as a one-and-a-half-point favorite, but now they're up to three, and money lines up to minus 155. I laid minus a buck 40 with Memphis on the money line. Greg made Mem- uh, made Memphis a four-and-a-half-point favorite. Look, Penny Hardaway is getting a lot of scrutiny for not really being a dominant ball club, right? Or doing anything in March, despite recruiting pretty solid talent. They're a way more athletic and just more skillful team than Boise State is. Memphis averages over 75 points per game while only allowing opponents 68. Boise State averages less than 70, but defensively they're solid, allowing opponents just 61. A little bit different competition against Memphis. Memphis shoots 47% from the floor, Boise State shoots under 45%. Boise State shoots less than 35% from three. Memphis shooting 36%. Memphis not the best free throw shooting team, 69% from the charity stripe. But Boise State is shooting less than 65% from the free throw line. They did win the Mountain West over San Diego State. Impressive. But to me, this is still a dangerous team that had high expectations coming into this season in the Memphis Tigers. Penny needs to prove himself. This team can go on a little run here. I don't need him to. I just need him to beat Boise State, which I think they're more than capable of doing. So give me the Memphis Tigers on the money line. Again, I snagged minus 140. They're up to minus 155 right now. Spread is three. You know how I roll, though. Not doing short spreads. We'll lay more for the security of the money line. All right. Next game we'll talk about, which by the time, if I'm doing a show tomorrow, And even if I'm not, I mean, it'll be going off anyways. But Marquette and North Carolina. UNC opened up as a two and a half point favorite. Greg Peterson made them a three point favorite. Well, now they're up to a three and a half point favorite are the Tar Heels. Minus 159 at Bet Rivers. I'm going with the Tar Heels here. I know they can get in volatile stretches, but they also have the ability to be just absolutely lethal offensively. They're averaging 77.5 points per game, shooting over 45% from the floor, over 36% from deep, and over 77% from the free throw line. They also snag 40 rebounds per game while limiting their turnovers to 11.7, whereas Marquette is turning the ball over 12.5 times per game and only snagging 34.7 rebounds. The Golden Eagles have not won two in a row since the end of January. Now, it's not like they won their last game or I'm expecting them to win this and then the next, but this hasn't been a team built on consistency, even more so than UNC. Marquette averages 74.5 points per game and allows 71. UNC, like I said, 77.5 is what they average. They allow 71.7. Long story short, going with North Carolina, snagged them minus 154. Now they're up to minus 159. With the spread at three in the hook, I would have envisioned this money line being like minus 160-ish in that range, like mid-160s. But 159 for the spread at three in a hook, I think the better bang for your bucks on the money line, and I'm rolling with that for the Tar Heels of North Carolina. So those are the college hoops plays I got for tonight, for tomorrow. 
And if you want more of that action, again, check out Rush Hour. You'll get my thoughts. You'll get other people's thoughts. But should be a blast these next couple of days. Thursday night, I have another play in college basketball. But check out Rush Hour. We'll talk about that then. All right. Let's go on to the Cubbies. Big moves at the friendly confines. You didn't think it was going to happen, right? Them getting a big-name player. And it's... It's relative when you're saying big name. I mean, I'm not saying he can't be a big name player, but in terms of what a lot of people are familiar with, because we're getting someone from the Japanese Baseball League. Saya Suzuki. He's got a massive deal with the Cubs. Five years, $85 million, as Jeff Passan's reporting. It's the highest number for a Japanese position player coming to Major League Baseball and the second largest behind Masahiro Tanaka's $155 million contract with the Yankees. So the 27-year-old Suzuki joins the club or the Cubs, excuse me, after playing nine seasons for the Hiroshima Toyo Carp and Nippon Professional Baseball. Excuse me if I mispronounce that. He hit 319. This is the important thing. He hit 319 with 38 homers and 88 RBIs in 2021. He's got a 315 career average, also 182 total homers and 562 runs batted in. He played nine seasons for the squad. Oh, I already went over that. Sorry. I <laughs> I had stuff written down. I thought I had something else. But yeah, so nine seasons with the team. He's been a beast. The projections are high. Obviously, you want someone in the realm of Otani, but he's not pitching. He's an outfielder, but the Cubs need some good defense out there in the outfield. And obviously, obviously, they need some offense at the plate. So big news for the Cubs. A lot of excitement to look forward to with Suzuki. It's great to see. Seeing those numbers gives you even a lot more confidence, despite it being in a you know, so to speak, lesser league, obviously, than MLB, doesn't mean it can't translate to still a successful rate in Major League Baseball. So awesome news for the Cubs. We'll see what else they can do. Still waiting. Everybody's like, all right, time to get Carlos Correa. Well, I don't have confidence. I had it high for like a second. Maybe not high. But like, it was a possibility of it being like a top two team, right? Like the Cubs being top two in contention for it. Then I'm like, ah, I don't think so. But I don't know. People are still thinking it could happen. Some other big names were kind of coming about for the Cubs to maybe consider. So, hey, who knows? Sox are making some moves left and right. But let's see what the Cubs can do here. It's getting a little exciting now. Rizzo going to the Yankees hurts. Schwarber going to the Phillies. Well, there are the rumblings he could come. It's my favorite Cub. Got his jersey. Absolutely love the guy. Good for him, though, getting a fat contract with Philly. As for Rizzo, well, it's kind of weird. I mean, there must be terrible blood with the front office and Rizzo because he took, I think it was like half of what the Cubs were going to offer him, even though they couldn't originally agree on it, but he took that with the Yankees. Maybe he just likes being in New York, switching it up. Chance to compete for a championship toward the back end of his career. You don't know what goes into it, but it is a little peculiar. But it is sad seeing Rizzo in a different uniform permanently. But Suzuki, a big name, giving the Cubs some positive thoughts and hopes. We'll see what they can do with some other potentially big name guys. 
How about the Bears? What have the Bears done lately? Nothing flashy, but they agreed to terms with former Packers interior offensive lineman Lucas Patrick. Could play center, has familiarity with Getze, so that could be a big and really just a comfortable get, an important piece for this offensive line. So it could be good with Lucas Patrick. A lot of people seem to like it. Also, linebacker Nicholas Morrow is signing with the Bears. He was hurt last year with the Raiders, but was having a very solid season in 2020. So if he can replicate that, stay healthy, Morrow could be a great acquisition for this Bears linebacking core. Some players had departed. Jakeem Grant signing with the Browns on a three-year $13.8 million deal. He was a Pro Bowl returner and wide receiver. I actually thought the Bears were going to retain him. Maybe he wanted too much. Bears didn't think it was a necessity. So now you don't have Tariq Cohen or Jakeem Grant. Um, who are you going to fill back there? I guess we'll see, but interesting. I, I did think the Bears were going to get him back. They really liked him, I thought. But hey, new management. Grant, if you remember, he was acquired in season, had over 740 returning yards, three total touchdowns, two on offense, one as a returner. So yeah, he's got a lot of potential. Very exciting player. Bilal Nichols, defensive tackle expected to sign with the Raiders, getting a two-year deal worth $11 million and $9 million guaranteed. Had a career year last season. We'll see what he could do with the Raiders. Also, former Bears cornerback Artie Burns is going to the Seahawks on a one-year, $2 million deal. Well, good luck, Seattle. That's all I'll say. Yeah, nothing wrong with Burns, but nothing really special at the same time. So many moves here by the Bears that aren't going to make headlines, but will definitely help build this roster. And again, everybody's waiting for the big wide receiver name to come about. Have patience. Trust the process. Trust polls. Trust what their plan is for the draft. They'll get there. Don't worry, okay? The So Brad Biggs has tweeted this out. Here is how the outlook of the draft is. So the Bears are sitting on six picks. They've got round two, number 39, round two, number 48, round three, number 71, round five, 148 from the Texans, round five, 150, round six, 186 pick. The 39th overall pick has involved an offensive lineman eight times in the last 20 years, including four linemen who were drafted by or played for the Bears. Tevin Jenkins, 2021. James Daniel, 2018. Evan Britton, 09. Uh, Chilo Recall in 08. I don't know. Just an interesting tidbit. Oh, and I guess he said the Bears also used a 39th pick on Eddie Goldman in 2015 and Mark Bradley in 05. I don't know. Kind of interesting. Just throwing that out there. But... A lot of times I'm going through Twitter and I'm just saying it as I go. So that's why I'm throwing out these random tweets. But it was topical. What was interesting, too, that I saw on Twitter, apparently Tyron Matthew and the Bears are, like, that's a thing that might be happening. I had no idea that was even in contention. Like, I didn't think he was going to be leaving the Chiefs, first of all, or that the Bears would be exploring something in the safety position. I know Eddie Jackson's kind of been a little bit disappointing, but... Still, I don't know. Interesting. We'll see. And if something goes crazy, you know I'll be tweeting about it. At DannyBurke5. Follow me on Twitter. I will have plenty more coverage. You know we rolling with hockey. Had a nice dub last night with our play from Rush Hour. Hopefully you tuned in and were able to get the Jets getting the dub over the Knights. I believe 7-3 was the final. And now we're 37-23 with our hockey plays this season, folks. So make sure you tune in 
Monday through Friday, 5 to 6 p.m. Central Time, VSIN.com. I always tweet out the link, so give me a follow, at Danny Burke 5, and always appreciate if you like or subscribe, rate the podcast, all that good stuff means a lot. Love having you guys listen, and hopefully we can keep making you money along the way. All right, go Bulls. Best of luck with your plays. We'll catch up again soon. Until then, take care, folks.